Well, good morning. Uh, relegated to the third row back there. So, but um, boy, there's a, one of those lines in the song just kind of stuck with me. My anchor to the ground. I, uh, I've told Brenda, you're my rock, but in the context of marriage, you know, I, she's dependable and trustworthy, and, but she can't be my anchor. I can't be my anchor. You can't be your anchor. You better get an anchor, and you better get Jesus as your anchor because our world is spinning toward who knows what's going to happen. And uh, the Lord doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in trust with him. But boy, there could be few lines in a song that would be more relevant than he is my anchor to the ground. I don't know what, uh, I I was just coming here today to see what was going to happen. (laughs) You know, and uh, congratulations to our JBQ team. Um, boy, that's, that's quite a feat what they've done. And I've, uh, like I said, we got suckered into, um, you know, competing with them years ago as a staff. And I said, I'll never volunteer for that again. Cause they smoked us, the whole staff, the youth pastor, me, everybody. And I don't think Brad wants to take them on either, but, uh, good morning. Last Sunday was awesome. Like I said, I just said, Lord, whatever you have for us, I'm ready. Whatever you have for me. We're going to go to Matthew chapter uh, 19, and if you'll turn there. um, I intended to preach this last Sunday. (laughs) Hopefully, it's better than it was going to be. It gave me another week to mull it over um, and uh, get a little bit more into it. I've really been in Matthew 20, or Matthew... um, uh, 19 and going into 20, I, um, I've just kind of researched it and read it, read it in different translations and, uh, um, did a lot of study on it. It's really not complimentary of the disciples. And you'll see that in these three instances. And I just happen to believe that maybe these stories that Matthew is writing as one of the disciples um, is to let us know, and this is what I liked about the Jesus Revolution movie. I don't know if it's still played or not, but it did not hide the warts. It did not have, hide the excesses. did not have the internal battles and the struggles. If anything, it gave us a very good insight as to when people got off track, got off into error, got off somewhere else, and they still said, we're, we're still good to go. We're still going forward, not going to let that stop us. And the disciples, you know, Matthew is writing this. And in one way, I, uh, I, like, I like the chosen in many ways. But the one thing that I wish they had not done is to make Matthew such a um, weird person. Eccentric, I was like, oh, stop acting like that. You're one of the disciples, don't do that. And I'm hearing that in my mind. I said, I don't think Matthew was anything like the guy that's playing Matthew. But Matthew has to be credited that when he gets to these places in Matthew 19, and he's recording this as a continuum, and Jesus is one of the rare times he's in Judea. Most of the time he's up in Galilee, he comes in, he goes out 
toward the Jordan River. He's out and away from everyone. But, you know, he never could get to a place where some of his enemies would not find him. And they find him in the first part of this chapter. So if you're there with me, I'm going to pick this up in verse 3. Some Pharisee came to, Pharisees came to him to test him. So we already know that Matthew is saying this is a trap. They ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. You could get in trouble saying that today. Made them male and female and said, for this reason, amen. Isn't it interesting? He told Matt, uh, Adam and Eve that they should leave their, their parents if they had parents, <laughs> he was like, this should be the way you should teach your children and the offspring that a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Well, the Pharisees were not done with this because they get to the point uh, and they ask him in verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? This gets really interesting where divorce is now the thing they're trying to catch Jesus into a place to where they can bring accusation against him and like, uh, is it lawful? Think about what they are asking is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason or every reason? You know, the nuance of what they were saying is that in that culture, a man could divorce his wife, but the wife had no legal boundaries to divorce her husband. So the men were the ones who could orchestrate multiple divorce. You remember the woman at the well, she'd been married numerous times and the man that she had then, she was just living with him. But out of all those times, she could not exercise that right to divorce. Only her husband. And she had went through that numerous times. And here's Pharisee saying, what about that? Is that okay? And uh, Jesus replied, Moses, this is in verse 8, Moses Permitted you to divorce. I'm going to get to a point here. Just hang in here with me because I'm not really preaching about divorce and remarriage. But I want you to see what the disciples' take on this was. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way in the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for one reason, for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, and we don't hear anything from the Pharisees, but listen to what the disciples said. If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. I don't, I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but it's almost like, well, if you can't get rid of her, it's better not to marry her. Because this is not, this does not make them look good. Now, some of them were married. 
We don't know how many of them, but some of them were married. And they were saying, well, if that's the case, if, if it's going to be that narrow, because I don't know how else we could take what we've just read in that, well, that doesn't sound right. And maybe, and, and listen, this is not early in their walk with the Lord. This is near the end. Because the very next, next chapter, Jesus tells them that, hey, we're heading to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem is they're going to turn me in. And they're going to mock me and flog me and crucify me. And uh, I'll be raised from the dead. But he says, this is what's going to happen. This was near the end. And they were taking something Jesus said. He says, well, you know what? If that's the case, it's better not to marry. Now, the next few verses, I'm not going to go over uh, word by word, but he starts talking about celibacy and eunuchs and the reason for being single. But he's really about to get to something that really makes a lot of difference when he gets past this, this next section in verse 13 is another setting. But I want you to think, keep in mind that the disciples really came to a place to where they said, you know what, I, I don't know about marriage. If it's, if it's going to be that narrow, that you have to stay with her, I just think maybe don't get married. And then the very next thing, Matthew records this, is almost incidental. It's only two or three verses. This is verse 13. The little, he, the, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. When he placed his hands on them and blessed them, he went on. And see, it's almost uh, when the kids came up here that we would just rebuke them for taking over part of the service. Here the little kids come to him and what are the disciples? The disciples have all of this pent-up anger about it. And they're saying, I, I want to read you a couple of places here because you that like the NLT, this is how it translates this. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. They were like, you know, they do this in the chosen. They're like trying to protect Jesus from, <laughs> from all these other people. And then the children come and then they intervene and start getting on to the parents for bringing children up to Jesus for him to put his hands on them. Boy, listen to the message. The message is not a translation, but I want you to hear what the message does with this. The people brought children to Jesus hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them away. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. It is good that that's not a translation. But Matthew is recording something that he is in on. He's not saying all of the disciples but me was okay with shooing them away. He's in the group. And I, I just believe when we see these kind of things in Scripture, I believe the Lord is trying to encourage us that the places we have that we really are off off target, that we react to things. And if there's anything that should teach us how to adapt to changes, it's been over the last few weeks. When things have went not like I'm used to, and uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm like a, I'm a rule keeper. I just believe in following the rules. Brendan and Terry is like, I will speak up when somebody breaks in line. That's the, that's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not break in line. There's something wrong. Hey, 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 buddy, buddy. Line's back here. And she'll say, it's not, no, it's not okay. But when you see them trying to reorder structure and Jesus is having to say, hey, calm down. It's okay. And he goes ahead and he puts his hands on these children. Why is that inserted? It's not just because it shows Jesus cares about the children. It shows that the ones he was training to take over when he's gone were still learning on the job. Still kind of looked at things in a different way and, and all of this was reshaping them. And I really believe that God is doing some things, maybe it's Asbury, maybe the Jesus Revolution. It's getting us to a place where the rigidness of our lives, the, the static places that we're in, where it's just got to be this way. That he's, he's disrupting that. He's disrupting that because he wants us to have a broader sense of how he works and that he will work in ways outside of our comfort zone. Amen. And Matthew is putting himself right in the middle of this. In verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And you talking about an ending to a chapter. This is priceless. We have a group that comes to him that is all about trying to trap Jesus. They don't like him, and they're trying their best to catch him in a misstatement. And then we have children that just show up with their parents, and the parents want Jesus to bless them. And then we have a lone person that is probably one of the most sincere people that you'll ever see talk to the Lord that walked away disappointed. He came with a genuine interest in eternal life. That's what he asked. What good thing, singular thing, must I do to get eternal life? He had narrowed it down to one thing. And he must have felt pretty much everything else was right except one thing. And you, got, you get this when the Lord is talking to him that he really feels like he's got just about everything in place that he needs, but something is missing inside of him. Something is missing. And it's not about right now. It's about life beyond. He's talking about eternal life. And so Jesus answered him in verse 17 with a question. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments keep the commandments and I love what this guy how this guy responds you remember he starts with one thing what is one thing I need to do and the Lord says keep the commandments what does he say <laughs> which ones okay he's already starting to get in trouble right he's got down to one thing and he's wondering which out of the commandments should I be leaning toward? Well, all these, he, he, he will rep reply in just a moment as to, he feels like he's keeping all the commandments. 
When he says, which ones Jesus, Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The very reason why he sought out Jesus is that he felt like he just had one missing link to having hope and faith. He is a rule keeper. He's one that checks off the boxes. And what he said, he said, I have kept all of these. All of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And see, he's about to find that he misstated himself when Jesus gave those commandments. Because he's about to go back, Jesus is about to go back to the last commandment he gave him. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, the Lord knew where this guy was not, not right. He knew what was missing. He could have said, you're lying. <laughs> you don't really care about your neighbor like you think you care because I'm about to test you as to how much you really do love your neighbor and people around you. But the Lord didn't challenge him. He let him answer the questions as all of these I have kept, but what do I still lack? And Jesus answered in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Remember that last commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Go sell your stuff. Give it out to poor people. You'll have treasure in heaven. And I really think at this point, he missed what Jesus said to him at the end of that. Join me. Join me. Join our group. I don't think those words fell on his ears like they could have after he had heard what the Lord told him to do. I don't think he heard those two words. Follow me. Join me. He missed those words. Sell everything you have. He, he didn't miss that one, did he? Secondly, take all the proceeds that you get from everything you've, you've extinguished from your resources. Give it all to poor people. Everything. Don't hold anything. And you're going to have treasure in heaven. And this is where he was asking about eternal life. He wasn't asking about what can I, how can I improve my life here. He must have felt he had a pretty good life. But he was thinking about life beyond his current life. And he just, maybe he didn't even hear, and you'll have treasure in heaven. What you are hungry for, this is how you find it. You empty yourself of the stuff here. And you allow the Lord to replace it with, him, with his presence. It says in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And this is the first indication that we knew how wealthy he was. Now, at the, if you, your, your Bible has these sections like the rich young ruler, well, we know that he was rich by that last statement. He had great wealth. He was sad and he walked away. In verse 23, Jesus turned to the disciples. And again, I just think sometimes these stories here are really to let us know how the disciples were grasping how to change their own perspective. I don't know about you, but I want God to change my perspective. 
I want him to work on me. I want him to reveal where I've kind of got this nice boundary around me where I'm comfortable within that. We ought to be comfortable with what happens last Sunday. We ought to be comfortable with what happens next Sunday. We ought to be comfortable when he disrupts our Monday. And he puts people in front of us and he says, this is the moment for you to be a representative of me. Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And and he's talking about the eternal part. Just what this man was saying. It's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. How hard is it? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you've probably heard people explain this, right? That there's a needle gate and the camel has to get down on his knees and have to take the baggage off. It's a wonderful illustration. It's just not accurate. There's no record of that. You can't find a record of that. Somebody came up, somebody came up, and now it's been just reported, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He was really saying it's going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. He didn't say it's impossible, he said it's hard. It's easier for a camel and all things are possible with God. He's about to say that in just a moment. It's the same today. People that are comfortable, and I don't know how comfortable people are today when a major bank goes under out west. And uh, Brenda was asking me, said, did those people lose their money? And I said, what if they had more than, what, 125000 that is uh, uh, insured. I said, all those people, but again, the leaders of that bank were selling off their stock before, <laughs> before it went up. So you see how wealthy people react. They are trying to protect the, their wealth more. It, it doesn't matter what kind of the rules they have to break or what kind of morality they have to override. It's just when wealth is seeped into a person, it's hard for them to come to a place of dependency on God. Boy, it would have been good if that young man had said, okay, sign me up. That's not what he said. Charles Coulson tells a story. He appeared uh, after his conversion and he he actually became a Christian before he was sent to a federal prison in Montgomery, by the way. Chuck Colson was probably one of the most hated people in the 70s when his role in Watergate was highlighted and people absolutely hated the man. Um, There was two or three, maybe four uh, legislators in Washington, D.C. that they were a collection of Republicans and Democrats, believers, and they went to him and really witnessed to him and and, um, reached out to him, gave him mere Christianity, and he came to the Lord, a a, a powerful transformation. Everybody said, well, he's just trying to get out of going to prison. But he served his time. And I think I'm right on this. Um, his family really suffered because he had an incredible job, made a lot of money, lost his 
law license and everything was shot. And I think one of his sons began to really get into a lot of trouble and, and he really was lost without his dad kind of being the supervisor in the family. And one of those, I believe one of those men who led Colson to the Lord went to the judge and said, can I finish out Chuck Colson's prison term so that he can go home and minister to his family? You see, that is what the kingdom of God is all about. The judge wouldn't let him, but he did get out and he was able to get home and start ministering to his family. And he appeared on Bill Buckley's show about what he's doing with prison reform. And there was a man in Florida that watched that episode. The man's name was Jack Eckerd. And if you ever lived in Florida at all back in the 70s and 80s, Eckerd Drugstore was the second largest drugstore in all of the United States. Jack Eckerd. And his passion was prison reform, and he saw Chuck Colson on that program, and he called him up, and he said, this is what I'm about, and I've got a private jet, and we can fly all over this state, and we can meet with legislators, and we need to do some prison reform. And, and so they partnered up with Jack Eckerd and on his private jet, landing in places. And this is how Jack Eckerd would introduce um, Chuck Colson. He would get up and says, uh, this is Chuck Colson, my friend. I met him on the Bill Buckley show. <laughs> He's born again. I'm not. I wish I were. And he sat down and took his place in the front seat. And Colson had bothered him after, after that. He would talk to him on the plane. He'd talk to him about Jesus and uh, try to witness to him. And he just like, you know, I'm... I'm I don't know anything about that. And, and, but it, next time that he introduced him the same way, this is Chuck Colson. I met him on Bill Buckley's show, and uh, he's born again. I'm not. I wish to were. Colson gave him books. He gave him mere Christianity. gave him his own book, Loving God. And, um, and he read that book, and he called Colson up. He says, I now believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. I'm a believer. And he said, well, that's great. You're born again. He said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. He said, well, I don't feel any different. He said, pray with me right now over the phone. He prays in this confirming. This is a wealthy man. It was hard to describe how wealthy. 1,700 drugstores, and he's in charge of that incredible chain. Enormously wealthy. And he cries out to God, and, and he's really marvelously aware that he has been born again. And the story goes, he walked into the closest drugstore just looking around and he saw the, the, now this is before a lot of you, there was penthouse and playboy stands behind the counter at his drugstores. He said, I want you to take all that out. Take all that out. And it can't be, it can't be sold in my stores. And when his vice president of the company, her says, he called him and said, what are you doing? He said, I want all that out of my stores. I can't be in my store. He said, we make $3 million a year on that. He said, I don't care. We're not going to sell stuff like that. It doesn't honor God. And that man started giving his wealth away. I want to tell you, a camel can go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> God can take a big old chunky camel and press that camel through the eye of a needle because Jack Eckert is a testimony. 
that a wealthy man can be saved. In verse 29, Jesus reminded the disciples, and I, I can, I'll just pick it up in verse 28. He said, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, well, first of all, I don't want to miss this because the disciples had something to say about this, right? <laughs> and Peter, man, he's the one that's going to take the leap. He said, well, we've left everything. We've left everything. What's in it for us? Can you believe he asked that question? After being with Jesus probably three years, maybe close to three years, says like, we left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus gives him this affirming. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, follow this. The Lord is not talking to them about present time that they're living in. He's talking about eternity. Renewal of all things in eternity when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging 12 tribes of Israel. It was exactly what he told the rich man. That in the eternity to come, you will have greater things waiting for you in heaven. And everyone who has left houses, our brothers, our sisters, our father, our mother, our wife, our children, feels for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Well, did the disciples accumulate any wealth during their earthly life? Absolutely not. They were, they were arrested. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were executed. He told them they were going to sit on 12 thrones. They didn't sit on those 12 thrones in their earthly life. But he was right when he said, this life is not what matters. It only matters if you follow me. The next life is what matters. It's what's beyond your last breath. It's what takes place when we draw that last breath and we step from this life to the next life and whatever you had in possession doesn't matter. It will all belong to someone else. I want our praise team to come back up. What would you give in exchange of peace? That confidence. I'm glad to have my brother with me today. You look pretty.